Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, Luke, Luke, here's a quick update for you. Luke got COVID last week, and he is still on the struggle bus, uh, so keep him in your prayers. Luke had, uh, he spiked 105 degrees yesterday. 105, that's like hospital-level brain cooking. So they called his doctor, and they were able to help out and bring the fever down. But um, yeah, he is wiped today. And his wife has it, too. So they're just stuck inside during the snowpocalypse of 2021. Hmm. How are you doing with the snow coming from Atlanta to uh, to uh, sunny Ohio? Yeah, good. I have lots of things to say, lots of opinions. <laughs> and one of those opinions is the following. People up north are so bloody miserable that they have to take joy in any way they can. And one of the ways people up in the north take joy is making fun of states beneath them and the people who live in those states about how poorly they handle the snow. And they say it with such a smugness. <laughs> oh, they get a little bit of a layer of snow and everything shuts down. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> it, it, it's really, everybody talks like that. Everybody, know. you know? know, and they all say it like you've never heard it. I know. You know, like every um, single yeah, time. Down there, they don't, they don't do uh, snow prep, you know, and uh, so, you know, everyone's like, no one knows how to drive down there. It's like the superiority <laughs> that ebbs through their voice. It's just like, can you not see how you're sounding? So that's, that's been pissing me off. What else? Um, <laughs> my wife, my wife has the best line. So she's from St. Louis, Missouri, right? And the phrase, the way that she says it is not due to sea level and high water table levels here in Houston, we can't bury our water pipes very low. She says, Houston does it all wrong when they put in their water lines to the house. They don't bury it deep enough. And, uh, and she's like, you know, up up north, we do it correctly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. You have more land in which to build basements, let alone to run water lines from the street to the house. <laughs> and they won't freeze because of the shallowness. The other thing I find difficult to believe is that you can become accustomed to the cold. So people will say, like, you're from Atlanta, this must be really tough. And I get that you can become accustomed to things, but I don't think you're made of different stuff. I think cold still <laughs> feels cold. Mm. So anyway. You've, you've obviously never heard of Wim Hof. No, I haven't. You've never heard of Wim Hof. He's the guy that goes shirtless. In, oh, uh, the from, he's like, I'm from Wyoming or Wisconsin. No, no, no. No, no, no. This guy is from uh, the Netherlands. Yeah. And he walks around. He takes ice. ice he swims under glaciers. And he, he tried to mount Everest in just a bathing suit. And uh, there was failed? a winter storm. No, Well, there was a winter storm that knocked him down. But it so wasn't. he failed. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah take that. I'm take glad that he failed. Off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we've been doing really well. We've been, uh, I, I love taking the kids sledding, you know, just kind of embracing it. And just kids, get your snow pants on. And we've been driving up to Franciscan University and throwing them down a hill. Uh, that's been fun. Man, that's awesome. So what drove you to go to Sumville? What was – because you didn't really, like, tell us all the stuff behind the scenes. You're just like, guess where I'm going. <laughs> so what, what was it that made you want to uproot from Hotlanta to, uh, to Steubenville? Yeah, friendship, I think. Uh, friendship. Overrated. And, Way overrated. <laughs> I'm, I'm now discovering that. It's been a month. I've made a terrible decision. No, uh, friendship, <laughs> uh, wanting life to be kind of easier in certain respects. Um, when I was in San Diego working at Catholic Answers, I was finishing up my job there and uh, we were discerning where to move and we ended up moving to Atlanta. And I remember I was in San Diego sitting in a coffee shop and the phone rang and I answered it and it was Scott Hahn, Dr. Scott Hahn. And, uh, you know, love the guy now, but back then he had total celeb status in my book. So yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. And yeah. so I'm like walking out, hey, 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 hi. And he's like, Matt, uh, you know, I, I hear you're leaving San Diego with that fantastic voice. Anyway, he invited us to move to Steubenville. This was like seven years ago, and he was seven years before 
well, seven years actually. Yeah. And we were, um, we, so we discerned it, but we never kind of, we, we obviously went to Atlanta and we didn't do it. Um, and when we were in Atlanta, we had some friends who were starting something up in Tyler, Texas, and they were going to kind of move down there, build an oratory, build a university. It'll be a thing that people hear about soon, I'm sure. And so I went down there and was hanging out with the bishop and things like that. And I didn't feel called to it, um, which was interesting because we were on like 150 acres or something. Maybe it was more. I forget now. But, um, you know, it just kind of opened up our heart. Like, man, we, we want to do more intentional community. And uh, in Atlanta, you know, and it's probably like that in Houston, everything's like a half hour drive away. Yeah. yeah. Your friend's half hour away, at least. The church is half hour away. The grocery store is 20 minutes away. Like everything is so spread out. I mean, if I wanted to take my friends to their friend's house, it would be like a 40 minute drive to drop them off. And then I'd drive back and then hope that they would cut, they would drop my kid off. Otherwise, I've now been in the car for like two hours, three hours. So um, we moved. We we came to Steubenville just discerning. I said, Cammy, like, what if we what if we just moved to Steubenville? You know, we've been talking about that in the past, and we want to do more intentional community and friendship. And so we decided to come up here for a visit. And I, I mentioned this on the update that I gave. The two attributes you don't want to have when discerning something big are excitability and restlessness. <laughs> and unfortunately, unfortunately, that's me to a T. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. I, like I, I joke, but I'm, it's, I'm kind of serious. Like if my wife looked at me tonight and went, honey, I've been looking up, you know, about Wyoming. And I was thinking maybe maybe the Lord's calling us to that. I'm like, okay. Uh, I mean, maybe. And she's like, I'm just joking. I'm like, yeah, me too. Like I, I, I find it hard to discern big things. I, I don't even trust my internal sort of, is it barometer the word? Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> so I said to the Lord, I said, you've got to convict my wife. You know, if she's convicted, we'll go. And she'd never been to Steubenville before. And I know people talk, you know, crap about Steubenville being not a pretty place and things like that. So we came and visited for about a week. We stayed with the Hans as well as with other people. And as we were leaving, she said she's never felt more at home anywhere in her life. And Mm. I'm like, boom. All right. Yeah. So that that was maybe longer than you wanted, but that's why we moved here. And we are thrilled. I really have a lot of peace with this move. And so, er- everything, yeah. you know this because you lived here, everything's 10 minutes at the most. Yeah. From one edge of town to the other is 10 minutes. So yeah. if you want to go somewhere and you're, like, you're not really sure where it is, it's like, oh, it's a two-minute drive. It's a three-minute drive. It's a one-minute drive. Everything is so close and, you know, just kids with all these great families. and So close and mafia-owned. Stupid. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, guys. It is Luke here, and I'm here today to tell you once again about BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. Is there something that is getting in your way with your own personal happiness or is preventing you from trying to achieve your goals? Listen, 2021 is a lot like 2020. Everyone's having a hard time right now, and that is okay. Help is out there. You can find help right now. With BetterHelp, they can actually get you a match with your own professional licensed therapist within um, 48 hours. They are not a crisis line. It is not a self-help thing. It is professional counseling done up securely online. And we have Catching Foxes on the listeners from all over the country, even Canada. Anyone, anywhere in the world can get help through BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com.
here is the deal. Once you just start, I'm living a happier life today. But I'm going to tell you that it actually really does work. I know some people who've gotten some great help, pun intended, from BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This podcast is, is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Catching Foxes um, listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off, off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Yeah, it's awesome. I loved I loved Steubenville because of one hills, two trees, and then three steel. You know, like <laughs> the steel place. Have you been near Weirton? Have you driven down yeah. Main Street? Yeah. And just like you drive down Main Street Weirton, and then all of a sudden you're driving into the steel mill, and you're like, oh crap, got to do a U turn. <laughs> uh, Tri State Liquor is right down the road on Main Street in Weirton. It's a very hollowed ground for me okay. in college. Um, but the uh, the city itself is. It's so funny because it is surrounded by the Ohio Valley beauty. Like there really is, yes. for all the jokes that we make, it really is a beautiful area once you get about 15 minutes away from, you know, city center. And there's a lot of spots that are around there. I remember, I remember, I think it was Dr. Regis Martin who said, uh, it says something about the town you live in when the prettiest area in town is a cemetery. And that's true. <laughs> there's this beautiful Orthodox cemetery. I know which one and, you mean, yeah. Yeah. And people go, students would drive there and then just go jogging and walking <laughs> and all this stuff. That was like the place. But you know, um, I don't know when the last time you've been here is, but there, there really has been some revitalization taking place yeah. in downtown. And the, yeah, the buildings yeah. are so cheap. I, that's, it's uh, wild. That, so how much – so you're downtown now, right? The, I'm, the I'm new on, studios. Yeah, I'm on 4th Street. But i got friends who are about to build a brewery down here. There's talk of a cigar lounge opening up. I'm talking like four-story buildings with lovely facades that are like yeah. 50 grand because there's been you know serious water damage. And so it would cost a lot more than that to get it up. But the first yeah. two floors are decent and things like this. And so yeah, it really wild. is an investor's paradise. And houses are so cheap and – yeah, it's it's yeah. been it's been really cool. After you moved there, Shannon and I, because we've always actually we've talked about moving to Steubenville. Um, there always Dude. is for Franny's. There's always this allure to come back home, you know, kind of thing. Come is back to the right? mothership. I envy that experience you had with Steubenville. I always, when you and Luke talk about it, I always it's sort of I can equate it to my net experience. Maybe it yeah. was yeah. very formative and transformative. Yeah, yeah and it's also know. weird. It's also weird because. You want to live the life of a college student in a way that, like, you, you sin like a Catholic, right? You sin like you do when you're, like, the things that you have the deepest regrets over are like, yeah, it's not that big a deal, <laughs> you know? Like, it's just so funny. It was so, we used to say, you know, you've arrived when you've been in a mosh pit to Jesus freak and a friar's in the middle. You know, like, that's what <laughs> happened. Like, no matter where, where you were, if, the, you know, someone played some music and I was like, all right, it's time for Jesus freak. Let's get rowdy. Which is so embarrassing to say those words out loud. But um, so know. what are you doing? I, I still think that's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> there was a man with a tat on his big fat belly, and it wiggled around like marmalade jelly. Wow, I it didn't know the lyrics. It took me a while to catch what it said. everything I just said. I had to match the rhythm of his belly with my head. Jesus saved <laughs> is what it raved in a typical tattoo gray. Oh, man, that's awful. Um, so what are you doing out there? What, what is the well, big um, – let, yeah, let, let me tell you like two experiences we've had recently <laughs> to kind of drive home just how Catholic this town is. Um, my wife and I were driving somewhere recently, and my wife saw you know, a, a series of people in tan suits walking along the side of the road, and she immediately just assumed that they were kind of inmates picking up trash yeah. or whatever. And then she's like, oh, no, nuns praying the rosary. <laughs> uh, that kind of thing happens all the time and then yeah. you know we have uh, this is confession all the time you know like and so the other night like we were just going through a lot family was kind of yeah you know chaotic and everyone was at each other's throats i'm like all right we're all going to confession and so we just kind of 
it was like 8 p.m. at night. We went to Franciscan University. Obviously, why am I saying that? Franciscan. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell I'm not from here. And uh, we went into the church, you know, and there's a line of college students, you know. This is so cool, and uh, yeah. it's so cool for my kids to see. Like we go to we go to mass at noon. And the kids are surrounded by these college students all praying. And anyway, so it's just been really cool, and it's almost like a weekly tradition now. I go to go to confession. Kids can come with me if they want, and I'll kind of get them a hot chocolate or something after. It's just it's just easy. It's easy to do those sorts of things. So anyway. Gotcha. But as far as what I'm doing, I built this studio, and uh, the whole point is to have in-person interviews again. That's all I'm doing. So, yeah, we yeah. put a lot of money into it. Um, I, I don't mind saying how much it is because I expect people to become patrons, so that's kind of why I'm telling people. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not an exaggeration to say over $30,000 at this point. And, and in hindsight, what I should have done is raise the money and then done it, but alas. In going forward with Pints with Aquinas, are you seeing you're going to be flying people to the to your studio yeah. and doing interviews with them as opposed to via the Yeah, online? I'll still do some Skype uh, interviews, you know, as I'm kind of getting off the ground here. But, I mean, this studio is so fantastic. It looks beautiful. Everything is good quality. Even the ceiling tiles are these beautiful pre-World War One kind of tin ceiling tiles. We have lovely carpet. The room is just beautiful. Um, it's, it's insulated. It's, uh, you know, soundproofed. We have even a cigar filter, air purifier, if the guest wants to have a cigar. So it's just like a cool environment. I, I remember when I invited you out when I used to have that show called The Matt Frad Show, and, and, I, and I invited you into that studio. That studio wasn't mine, and it was just a very sterile-feeling studio. Yeah, if you remember, it was just like this it was giant- a weird. It was weird. It was weird because it was they had some stuff set up, but like I could tell your heart was in it and theirs was <laughs> wasn't. Uh. You know, and it was like here's three cameras. They're gonna roll until we stop, and, and then we had to take that pee break where we all almost died. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was paying them enough to be terribly concerned about me. I think they did what they could, and they were okay, they were, they were very fine people. But I think what was difficult was. Um, just the sterile environment of it all. Like you, yeah. you walk into a set like that in a professional studio, basically everything the cameras are not pointing at is just ugly and functional but not homely and beautiful. Yeah. And it, it really yeah. does change how you feel, which changes how you conduct and engage with an, in an interview. Whereas like this place, I'm just so excited to get people in. It'll be, it's dark. We get a big, beautiful wooden table that Bob Lesnevsky made for us. And nice. It's just cool. So um, yeah, so I'll be flying people in. Um, there's a lot of good people around here I can interview as well. Um, are you going to loan out your studio for anyone never, else? Like, are you going to never in a hundred years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't know if you wanted to pivot for a side hustle and then have other podcasters come in and record shows. No, no, no. no. It's all you all the time. That's right. Nice. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of money. Like these cameras are very expensive. The lighting's very expensive. I just I wouldn't want anyone else in here. Yeah, but they have a lot of things up on uh, your Franciscan. They have uh, they have studios and things like that for people to record in, so they can they can go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me, like, I don't think people realize this is the house that Patreon built, right? Isn't that cool? I mean, it, was, it is. It was actually five years ago, Goma, that I gave you a call and said, "All right, how do I do this podcast thing?" Yeah. This was pre-Trump. Yeah. Uh, th- this is when everyone was like, "There's no way Trump will be president." That's when <laughs> I started Pines with Aquinas. Yeah, so it's beautiful to see, you know, like it was just a little podcast to to kind of get some more credit for my grad course. And 
And then people started supporting me. And then I, if you remember, I was having these issues with my employer. So I actually quit my job and then went to patrons and said, hey, if you want to support me, this is what I'm doing now. <laughs> because I couldn't tell them I'm about to quit my job. Please support me. And then if I had that money, quit. Because that would have been yeah. obviously unfair and duplicitous to my employer. So had to go the other way around. But but yeah, like all of this stuff is paid for by, by patrons. So just going to ride this wave until Patreon kill, uh, cans me and, and YouTube deplatforms me and then... And then we'll see what happens. Then you'll roll over to Parlor. Oh, wait. You can't. <laughs> oh, wait. Or Gab until that's shut down. Or until. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Man, it is such a. It's so funny to see this ride that you're on. So, what about. I'm trying to think of all the old projects that you had going. Um, obviously, the COVID shutdown or interrupted. What about um, heading out to Uganda? Was it Uganda or Kenya? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I went around? to Uganda two years ago. Supposed to go last year, but COVID happened. This year, the plan right now is to go to at least Nigeria and Uganda, maybe Zimbabwe. Um, but, of course, all of this is subject to change. You know, like, it's funny. Like, I'm, I'm interacting with the these leaders over there and they're all like yeah let's do it but i don't i don't know what's going to happen in june or july do you feel like yeah. that does it feel like yeah. everything is still up in the air oh 100 100 across the board it feels like everything is up in the air it's hard for me because i just had a 20 minute <laughs> conversation with the good folks over at uh franciscan university's conference office and we were talking about my trip to steubenville mid-america too i think that's hmm. the one i'm doing and oh, i'd uh, love to have you in the studio when you're when you're here yeah well, yeah well no i'm going to mid-america which is oh, in St. Louis. Yeah. Yep. Well, so my family's in St. Louis, where my in-laws are. So, uh, ooh, did I just make it my family? Whoopsie. Um, <laughs> Mom and dad, uh, <laughs> my in-laws are up there. And so me and my wife, when in 2016 when I had it, we did a drive up there. And it was family vacation. My brother-in-law got married. So I gave my talks. And then um, my father-in-law got me a rental car, and I, like, zipped as fast as I could right to the reception. But um, it was really uh, – it was an awesome experience. I love the Mid-America crowd. But now it's like, okay, I'm planning to drive my family up, if that's still allowed, in Missouri, which is way more locked down than Texas is. And so we're, you know, and everyone's kind of on pins and needles because all of the attendance is lower with the anticipation that it'll ramp up the closer to the date. And so everyone's trying to do all these like cost minimizations and flights are so expensive. Like flights fluctuate between 200 and 500 dollars wow and it's like so hard to nail down yeah yeah now back to this issue just though of things seeming up in the air it's uh it's one of those things you know it's like i don't know i have kind of this general vibe that you know like covid obviously is is this terrible thing and people especially who are elderly or uh, have immune issues um you know could be seriously hurt by it but the rest of us like it's it's probably going to be fine um but then you see things and, you know, say a new strand of COVID that's 70 times as deadly. Like, oh, for goodness sake. Like, I don't, I don't know where you're at with this. I, I can't keep caring. I can't keep investing mental energy even if I ought to. Even if yeah. I wanted to, I can't. It's, yeah, no, it's, I, stopped, I stopped caring about six months ago. I, I, complete, mean, did you, I completely detached from all forms of news, from all forms of social media, um, the only time, and I, and I can definitely feel it within myself, the spike that I get when on YouTube, they have that force down your throat level of their version of the news, right? Where they'll highlight a bunch of different things in those six minute clips from all over the place, you know? Um, but they like, I see the headlines and then I actually watched, um, an NBC news clip and it was as if it was March last year and yeah. like nothing had changed. And I was like, this is why I can't watch the news. Mm. I'll read and 
I am much more comfortable reading a week later story, you know, a synopsis, a yes. summary, an assessment. Then at breaking news is the cancer of the American heart, and it is ruining and, and our it's probably society. The, it's, in a sense, it's probably the cancer of like podcasts like ours because yeah. – you know, like you fall into that game of getting getting clicks, which means being relevant, which means talking about the news as it happens, which yeah. means talking about the news that's still very tentative and maybe completely yeah. misleading. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've me and Luke have been guilty of that. And I know I've definitely made wrong calls on things that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grabbing headlines off of Twitter and making magisterial pronouncements based upon it. And I realized for how how stupid I am, how short sighted I am and how easy it is to watch your audience get uh, and I don't mean offended in like some lame way but like deeply hurt by a quick take a hot take um I just said I can't do this anymore I'm kind of tired it. of people getting deeply hurt I, I just I, I almost just don't believe it I agree that people can be deeply hurt but it just yeah. feels like everybody's continually being deeply hurt that I just I've, I've lost I don't care I don't believe them when they say they're <laughs> so offended anymore well the funny thing is the how the even the the people who constantly condemn the victim mentality will use it when it's just advantageous for them. And I, I find it's just another level of – it's just another angle of attack against your – you know, like against your opponent. So Yes, um, yes. So for instance, okay, so let's come off that. I got a couple um, Patreon sure, questions sure. that we have for you. Uh, and I have my answers to this question, but I wonder what you think. Um, Hey, everyone, you know I've abandoned social media stuff, but let me tell you, there is one place where I can connect with you that is worth our time, and that's Stereo.com slash Gomer. You head over to the Stereo.com slash Gomer, follow me, get the Stereo app, and every Sunday night, you can join me and Luke live. It's a live show. This is not pre-recorded. This is the Catching Foxes after party you never knew that you wanted. It's fun. Stereo app has thousands of live social conversations and all that stuff. But guess what? You get to join us. You get a little notification. Oh, hey, Gomer's going live. You hop on the show Sunday nights, 10, 9 central, and you can just listen in. It's great. I love the Stereo app. It's um, um, We're on it all the time, and it's a lot of fun. So you follow us. You get notified. You listen to the show. Then you can participate. You can leave comments. You Maybe you can become a co-host, especially if Luke keeps this whole COVID thing up. Yikes. We had Katie on. It was Katie and me the last week, and it was so fun. We always schedule them for 45 minutes, and we have never gone less than 60 because it's a blast. We get to hear from you directly. It's a lot of fun. So you want to join us on the Stereo app. For the Catching Foxes after party. Sunday nights at 10 Eastern, 9 Central. I will always say 9 Central. I don't care what Luke says. He yells at me all the time for saying 9 Central. He says that's the worst time zone. It's the best time zone. 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, 9 o'clock Central, Sunday nights, live. You join us, ask us questions, make funny comments. It is a lot of fun. Don't miss the after party over on the Stereo app. We'll be going live, and it'll be hilarious where you can scream and yell and laugh and giggle. It's going to be awesome. Many thanks to the Stereo app for sponsoring this show. Why do you give platforms to people like Timothy Gordon? Uh, because I like him and think he has a lot of intelligent and helpful things to say. <laughs> so my question, well, like, so the first time you did, it got, it got cray-cray. I mean, yeah. you had a good family yeah, connection. Yeah, I think, he, I, think and- he had, I think he has some things to say that, uh, that, he, that he says in unhelpful ways sometimes. Yeah. 
So we when the first time I had him on my show, that was a, that was a fun episode. I was like a deer in headlights as he called women yeah. chubby for the third time in fifteen minutes, and I'm just sitting there like, "What the hell is happening?" <laughs> and I had met the guy about five minutes prior to sitting down at this interview. Didn't actually, I don't. We may have had a one phone conversation. I'm not sure, but I didn't mm. watch TNT. And I think it was the morning of I had men's group and someone said something like, hey, just so you know, like Taylor and Tim, you know, they get, they're big into this, you know, head of the household thing and women should stay at home stuff. And, and I remember being like, oh, okay, I didn't know that they did that. I thought they were just about whatever, traditional Catholicism or something. So when I had him on the show, like that, that was weird for me. Um, not, <laughs> not those specific points, but just how he said some of the things that he said. All right, so... But here's what happened. I um, He came back to my house for lunch afterwards. And I just... I, he might have this front to him, but he is the most loving husband and father. Like, you know, his daughter, I think it's Abby, her name is. She's 12 and she's in a wheelchair and, you know, he's got to change her diapers and things like this. You know, I think some people have the impression that Timothy Gordon is this dude who just kind of like barks orders at his wife and sits down and smokes cigars and stuff. But, you know, he's there changing his daughter and asking his wife if he can help her. And like, he's, a, he's actually a really good guy. Like, I've met people who come off great on stage or on a podcast, but then you're like, wow, you, you're not like that. Um, but he, <laughs> Timothy was really kind of, kind of great. And um, so we just kind of kept up a relationship. And um, How did that then, resolve? Because I remember the Twitter war. Right, that so kind I, of... I, I, wrote, I wrote a little article about kind of disag- stuff. Yeah, yeah d- disagreeing that a woman under you know, any circumstance should not be working. Um, and I posted that, and I think he was frustrated with that, and he – texted me about it what's good about tim though like he he says what he means and he doesn't kind of go around you to say it like he so he was calling me and and, you know which i appreciated um so how did that resolve it was it was a tough time because like i had just people yelling at it at me from both sides and i was just like oh my gosh this is this is nuts Uh, so i i just but i also think like we should probably talk about men being the head of the household since scripture affirms that and and one thing I've noticed within the church and, and church speakers is sometimes all we do is say what a verse doesn't mean, yeah. right? So men are the head of the household. Here's what that doesn't mean. And we never get around to saying what it does mean. So yeah. I was all about him having a crack at that. Um, but anyway, overall, I thought it was in, in some ways an unhelpful interview, in many ways, actually. Um, so anyway, but then he invited me on his show to talk about pornography. I was very reluctant because he had just done a debate with Trent Horn on feminism, which was a complete train wreck. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was nuts. Just nuts. Um, from both sides? Just it- I mean, look, uh, I think from Tim's side, honestly. I, I, th- I thought Trent was reasonable, but uh, I thought Tim spoke too much. Now, Tim's response is, yeah, but I was a guest on his show. If you invite me on your show as a guest, then I, of course I'm going to do most of the talking. But my response to that is, yeah, but this wasn't really like an interview. This was more of a debate. So it really could have used a good moderator mm. um, because it just it went off the rails really quickly. Like I've never – it was, it was unreal. So I was like – so when he asked me to be on his show, I was like, no, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. Like I don't, I don't want to come on and something – because it was him and his brother. I didn't know who his brother was. And I was yeah. just – anyway, so I, I gave it a chance. <laughs> And it went really, really well. And I just thought, gosh, here's a guy who was pretty, you know, a bit put out that I disagreed with him publicly after that interview, but was willing to sit down and have a chat with me, right? Okay, so I'll wrap this up. But uh, then we started chatting on the phone. And uh, it seems to me that Timothy is turning away from some of those views. Maybe he has, maybe others around him have, such as 
you know, maybe that you know, Pope Francis being the Pope is questionable, or the Novus Ordo is an illegitimate mass, or Vatican II can be rejected wholesale by Catholics, yeah. right? So I, I was on the phone with him, and I just thought this is this is a shame that Catholics are starting to talk like this. Yeah. Hey, let me let me make an analogy, uh, and we'll use the kind of paradigm of left and right as as unhelpful as that may be. On the left side of the church, you've got people who seem to insinuate that homosexual relationships can be moral, but they never come out and say it. So you can't sort of capture them and say, look, look, here's the thing. It's like they, they insinuate at it and then have a lot of vague language, and it, it just feels cowardly because they're not saying what the, it seems that they think. On the right-hand side of the church, though, it seems like we have something else, right, where people are insinuating that Pope Francis isn't the Pope and that the, sec- and the Novus Ordo is illegitimate, et cetera, et cetera. But it, when you try to find a place that they've said it explicitly, it's, it, you're kind of hard-pressed to find it. It's, so it's like this yeah. kind of uh, amorphous blob sort of thing that you you wish had edges to it so you could wrestle with it so i was noticing this in the church and i knew that tim tim you know um was changing his mind on the second vatican council because he had he was um you know he had thought that there was a lot of errors in it actually but Mm. the more he researched it he realized okay wow no there's not and these are beautiful documents and all this so i had him on the show to talk about why catholics can't reject the second vatican council in part because if I had Jimmy Aiken on, you would just have a bunch of trads calling him a soy boy yeah. and a Catholic answer sellout. And I'm like, okay, well, if I have Timothy on, like maybe they'll take him a bit more seriously. That was why. So why is it so fracturing right now in the conservative side of things? Like in the in the church that wants to keep – like I have my answers that are less spiritual and more psychological. But why, why do you think the conservative side of the Catholic church, which under – JP2 and Pope Benedict were so siege mentality. We're all in this together. We're with the Pope. We're fighting back uh, heretical bishops and all this. Now it seems like a lot like you have the TNT breakup, the Timothy Gordons versus the Taylor Marshalls. And yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Right I'll now. give, I'll give some brief thoughts and I'm happy to hear yours if I'm uninteresting, which is likely to happen uh, or be the case. Um, so Carl Keating put it best in a book he wrote on Pope Francis. He said, it used to be the case that we would look to Rome to clarify the confusion of our parishes. And we got that clarification, right? Now it seems like we have to look to our Orthodox parishes, and by extension, Orthodox YouTube bros, to clarify the confusion coming out of Rome. And there is a lot of confusion coming out of Rome, right? And Pope Francis says some things that seem to me to be very unhelpful. And so when you've got confusion at the top, I think people naturally seek somebody to make things less confusing. And I don't know why it is the case, but it seems easy to fall into a sort of trad spiral where it feels like, honestly, honestly, no matter what religion you're a part of, there's somebody in that religion who looks at you as liberal and not the real deal. I mean, this is. You're not idealist enough. Yeah, even like the old, the, the, what are they called? The old Russian Orthodox believers mm-hmm. who pray the, you know, make the sign of the cross differently with their fingers and have a little prayer mat and a different shot key. Like they're looking at the Russian Orthodox as if they're a little bit of a sellout. And like it's everywhere. And um, it's, it's kind of exhausting because you've got SSP5 looking at SSPX like sellouts. And maybe some people of that are looking at FSSP as whatever. And maybe some in the FSSP are looking at. It's exhausting, and I don't know what the solution is. What do you think? 
what if there was a podcast that used pop culture references to review stories from the Bible? And what if you could listen to a recap of a Bible story like the recap of your favorite TV show? Well, now here comes your new favorite show, after us, of course, from the team that brought you the podcast. Here is The Bible Binge, a show that takes both the familiar and the obscure stories found in Scripture and walks you through the odd circumstances in which these ancient figures find themselves in with equal parts humor and insight. Whether these are stories you love or if you're new to scripture, the Bible Binge has something for everyone. Not only does the Bible Binge recap Bible stories, they also cast these characters with modern-day celebrities. And one of the reasons why I love the Bible Binge is not just a particular show, which the really funny one Kirk Cameron explained, but they have the, <laughs> it's so funny. They have these two things that I love, faith-adjacent things like Thanksgiving and Santa Claus. And then it's another category called favored or forsaken. And they go through these things like celebrity Christian. And Kurt Cameron explained, or uh, very topical, Dave Ramsey explained with all the little reports coming out about working condition, working conditions at the Ramsey Solutions or whatever. We're going to leverage your pop culture literacy to enhance your biblical literacy. I think that's sweet. So head on over to the Bible Binge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can listen ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Wondery, feel the story. Well, I mean, Freud had this phrase where he called it the narcissism of minor differences. And mm. I always come back to that because it's like you don't hate people more than you hate the people that you agree 98% with. Beautifully put. If you, if you have someone that you disagree, uh, you know, you disagree 98% with, they're just outsiders, right? But the, the person who is so close, they're traitors, right? Like, and the betrayal runs deep. And so once you begin, I think there are certain milestones, and I think you identified some of them with Timothy Gordon. There are milestones in someone's, for lack of a better word, radicalism into one form or the other, where like once you hit it, there's like no going back. And I think one of them is the rejection of JP2, or not JP2, excuse me, Vatican II, mm-hmm. the rejection, the illegitimacy of the Francis papacy. Like once you say, well, he wasn't real pope, Pope Benedict is still the real pope. You hit a milestone, you hit a marker in your um, in your life that it's almost like, well, then everyone on that side is like a bridge that you just burned. Everyone on that side now belongs to not just the wrong group, but the traitorous group, right? They're the ones betraying the church. They're the ones not going far enough. Uh, you know, and you can easily grab scripture and lose yourself in this stuff where, you know, you have the righteous remnant. And you can get delusions of grandeur where it's like, I belong to the righteous remnant of faithful people. And uh, everyone, everyone that goes to a Novus Ordo Mass, they are, they're the, the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai worshiping the golden calf and calling him Yahweh. It might look like Catholicism, but it's not, you know? Whew. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was just at the coffee shop up the road prior to coming here for this interview, and I was talking to the barista, and he said he started some brewing, you know, some some home brewing with beer. And he said, it's great. I've got my little domain of control. And we both laughed. (laughs) And and, and, and I wonder like how much of that is part of it. It's not that these questions aren't important. And it's not that these people aren't making points that need to be listened to. It's that in a chaotic world, we all just naturally gravitate to like a, a realm that we can order and organize and make sense of. And um, I was listening to a good debate between not a debate, a conversation between people like, why is it so fragmented? And one of the guys said, it's not it's he said, the funny thing about our arguments is we aren't arguing over the facts. We are arguing over which facts are relevant. 
And mm-hmm. um, so the both sides, and I think that, that that's a, a big uh, narrative of the left is that the right has rejected expertise and they've rejected the scientific practices that are embedded in our culture. So they reject Fauci wholesale because he's a scientist and an immunologist and all this stuff. They reject him because he's an expert. And there's a book written actually by a Catholic author, um, The Death of Expertise, um, where he kind of talks about this movement among people. Like it's almost like the know-nothing political party that burned Catholics and killed Catholics. Um, the So you have that narrative on the left. And then the narrative on the right is it seems to be very easy that you know these are corrupting influences. And so they must be dismissed whole cloth and every side is advancing these things along really hardcore moral frameworks like either you buy into this narrative or you're the enemy right and so if you're not wearing two masks you're the enemy if you don't wear if you do wear two masks you're the enemy if you don't sanitize if you do sanitize you're the enemy right so it's it's this constant mode of damned if you do damned if you don't because I mean, my big thing is because we've lost our ability to not talk to each other, yeah. but to not listen to each other and to not let the people that we like listen, talk and listen to each other. Like, I mean, I feel like it's important to listen to Timothy Gordon because I think maybe he has an insight that other people don't. I think it's important to listen to people like Father um, uh, James Martin, even though I incredibly disagree with him. He mm-hmm. also is – he does a really excellent job humanizing people. Here's a, good, and I here's, a, here's a good question for you. Who wouldn't you have on your show? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people, right? But who is a notable Catholic that, you know, if they reached out to you, you would be like, yeah, that's just outside of the Overton window, as they say. What I think is the reason why someone on the left or the right, I wouldn't have them on our show, is if I feel like, one, they wouldn't be a good listener, two, they wouldn't be a good speaker. Like, it's yeah. like, nope, I got my agenda, my agenda, my agenda, my agenda, my agenda, you're done, my agenda. And that's the way I felt when you interviewed Timothy Gordon, not that he was attacking you, but like the dismissive attitude to the claims that he made, made it seem like, well, I mean, he, the, the way he'd be like, well, th- this is Council of Trent. This is Council of Trent. You can't, you can't dispute this. This is part of the church tradition. You can't dispute this. So I read all of Trent just after your interview. I read every single decree of the Council of Trent. And I was like, that's not a Trent. Like there was one decree about women leaving home and it became this entire theology upon which – and so that – like there were instances of that that bothered me mm. that I'm like, well, you can't have a discussion then. Yeah, that, that bothered me a little too. I, I would say – and I hope this doesn't come off as condescending. I'm actually really kind of proud of the direction Timothy Gordon seems to be going in because I think he was a lot more abrasive and combative in our first interview. Whereas nice. it seems like he's getting a little better now. I actually had some prominent Catholic figures text me and say, good job on that interview with Timothy Gordon. And these are people who you would not expect to say that. Oh, nice. And they even, these people even said, like, can I have his email? I'd love to write to him and just congratulate him. Yeah. I think it's uh, big. I think you, the way you talked about Vatican II, because when him and Taylor Marshall split, I began reading the backstory from more traditionalist sources and this is back when I was on Twitter, so you know it was, it was easy to get that. You know, and the funny thing was, all of the comments on whether it was Timothy Gordon's videos or Taylor Marshall's was like, "Stop doing this! You're fracturing the community. We already have enough to fight." And they were just begging them not to have these arguments. And I well, began, see, this is yeah. yeah, this is what happens when you find a place of safety in a time of chaos. Yeah, you can't have the place of safety erupt. Right, like it's it's almost like falling, and nobody wants to fall, and then you find a foothold. And that foothold might be church militant or, God forbid, me or you know, TNT. 
and you've found some stability. And if that, if people attack that thing in which you've now found stability, they're the enemy because the, the, the only other option is chaos again. And uh, yeah, it's, it's no wonder people didn't want the two of them to fight. For I mean, nobody wants people to fight, but yeah, I just, I just feel like there. If you can hit the rigidity. If you can avoid the rigidity, you can talk to anyone. And that's on both sides because, I mean, I like I, I see it on a different episode. Like I read a ton of tech blogs or I used to. And the dismissal, I actually wrote an email to one of the bloggers and just said, listen, I'm sorry. but I, And he was just attacking the South as a whole and blaming all the COVID deaths in New York and Pennsylvania on the South. Mm. And I just said, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to challenge you here on this. I, I appreciate everything you write, but – you have to understand, we have not had COVID outbreaks, yet we have been on the exact same restrictions you've been. So we've had no incentive, no experience, no hospitalizations to the level that you've had where it's like felt, you know, like everyone knew someone that had COVID or died of COVID. We didn't have any of that. And now it's on month six and we're like, you know what, we're done, you know, and or month four. And we're like, you know what, screw it. Uh, Memorial Day, end of May, we're, we're going nuts. And then, it, then the rapid spread began happening through that. But no. the guy just said, I don't, I don't care. You're wrong. And I was like, oh, my God. You're blaming an entire region of the country uh, for things because you was, everyone has perspectivism, right? We think from our own perspectives, and we just fling it at people. And it's so – I'm telling you, your stress level will decrease when you get away from the news. I pray yeah. for Pope Francis every day. I, if I believe that Jesus Christ built – the church on the rock that is St. Peter, then the off the cuff airplane conversations he has with reporters will never disturb my faith, right? The side comments, they don't disturb my faith because I don't hear them. Catholics a hundred years ago never would have heard that stuff. I'm sure there were popes who were as stalwart as the day is long saying goofy crap when they're drinking cappuccino down the corner with a couple, right? Like they used to just hang out in Rome. And I'm sure they've said horrible errors and misspe- you know, misspoke, but we didn't capture it in HD quality audio and video. And, and so I, I am less – of course, that, that's also the problem is because we capture it, it can affect more people. But um, I, think our, I think our unwillingness to criticize anything Pope Francis says is just illustrative of the fact that we don't understand uh, papal infallibility as well. Anyway, I, I know that's been talked to to death, but – yeah. And, and the opposite, what? the opposite, though, is because of certain people's hyper desire to criticize Pope Francis. Yes, that's a good point. Like, yeah. I feel I feel sensitive to but I think you do a good job always trying to balance and, and stuff like oh, that. Gosh. Steel man yeah, instead knows. of straw man. But I really do. I'm, I'm sensitive to the left critique of the right because I know that my view is always limited. And I never want an ideological category to define my faith. And I'm sure you don't either. But it's hard when you're in yeah, it. You know, it's it hard when hard. you're in it. But it goes both ways, doesn't it? I was chatting yeah. with someone recently. Um, she goes, you know, there's a different masses here. In Steubenville, we had gone to the Latin mass, but it's a low Latin mass. It's really kind of difficult for us to sit through, so we stopped going. But, um, you know, I was speaking to this lady who goes with more of a kind of charismatic-ish nervous order. And she said, oh, yeah. And she was like criticizing the Latin mass. You know, the priest up there talking to himself. And I thought <laughs> it, it is still the case that in many circles, it's it's somehow okay to disparage the ancient faith like that. But if someone were to say, oh, you have the nervous order there, the priest speaking in English, you'd be called a Pharisee. Yeah. It does feel like there's a bit of a double standard. Oh, yeah. 
And that was one reason why I moderately come to the fence of Church Militant, which is uh, he made this statement that I, I absolutely thought was true. Um, the U.S. bishops attack in, as individuals will often let, – let me not just paint with a super broad brush. But since the 60s, the U.S. bishops are more ready to shut down conservative organizations, whether it's liturgy or you know book publishers or whatever – they're more they're more quick to slap their hands or do a, whatever than they are on the left, and that is, I mean, that is the the lived experience of so many people who are like, okay, totally. it's 1968, we're gonna no one's allowed to receive on the tongue, we're gonna rip the tabernacles out from the center of every church, we're gonna put them in a side room over here, we're gonna raise money to build an ugly room where we're gonna stick the tabernacle, we're gonna have crazy music that has nothing to do with the liturgy, not sacred at all. And we completely upended everyone's faith. We reduced it to folk music as an effort to keep the young, and the young people are leaving in droves. And we did all of these things with almost zero repercussion. Some places were better than others, but they bastardized the mass in the middle of claiming pastoral whatever. And to me, the word pastoral means loophole. And so every loophole, literally, if you read the rubrics of the general instruction on the Roman Missal for the Novus Ordo, like it'll say all these things and then it'll grant an exception under very limited circumstances. And almost everywhere, that exception is the norm. And so you begin to ask yourself, like, I mean, Pope, Pope Paul VI never even heard a communion on the hand, reached out to all the bishops of the world, got about 2,100 votes back absolutely condemning communion on the hand. Meanwhile, in 19, and this is in 19, maybe 67, in 1968, uh, the deacon's wife here at our church, she said they were told by the nuns, it is a mortal sin to receive communion on the tongue. This was three years, I mean, like 68, like what? And so you have this insane, this insanity going on. And so the, the whole Michael Voris thing was they were dogged, I think it was in Scranton or whatever, and that led them to go to wherever they are now because – and he's like – he just kept saying to his bishop, why are you attacking me? I'm defending the church. And it's like, yeah, well, you seem like like, like just a, a brutally rude jerk when you do it. And so that's mm. – that is the impression because I always say like the, the left keeps people in the church by softening the church. The right appeals to people outside the church because it's hard. It's something graspable. It's a foothold right. in an otherwise just, chaotic life. And it's like, if we could just get these two brothers, if Cain and Abel could just come together, maybe we could actually make something worth dying for and living for. I don't know. What's up, nerds? Our friends over at CatholicCardGame.com are making an online version of our favorite card game, The Catholic card game. This online version will be able to be played on the phone or computer and people can play it together via Zoom call. Not only that, but they're launching a Spanish version as well online so people can play in both English and Spanish. Now what they want to do is crowdfund this sucker, right? They are raising the money in order to make this happen. We're looking to raise $14,000 in the month of February. This is going to cover all the coding costs and the infrastructure needed to create not just an online game, but a good experience. The people that want to pre-order the game can go there and for $20 you get lifetime access. This is a not an annual subscription. One payment, 20 bucks, gets you that pre-order. Help them reach their goal. Go to the link in the show notes and it'll take you directly to their website where you can help fund the Catholic Card Game Online Edition. See how about Espanol. Once again, thanks to Matt and all the other fine folks over at CatholicCardGame.com for sponsoring this show. I was giving a talk at uh, in Dallas, no Austin, recently last week, um, 
And someone came up to me after my talk on pornography and she asked me what we can do about the music industry. And my answer was like, probably nothing. America's falling apart. The whole thing's going to hell. I would just help your children to be good and holy and not worry too much about it. Uh, as she left, she held my hand and said, I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying for hope for you. And I went, oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I really was so flattered by that. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. How do you uh, provide for your family uh, in all of this shenanigans? How are you shepherding your family and how are you and your wife keeping your heads on a swivel now that you've done a move in the middle of COVID, in the middle of winter apocalypse? A lot, a lot of spiritual warfare from many different angles I could go into. It's pretty nuts. Um, but I, I'll tell you off the air maybe. But um, yeah, we, we are just trying to give you, Cameron keeps saying we just need to give each other grace, give each other more grace, you know. She's right, obviously. And um, uh, I was thinking about starting a, doing a YouTube video called How to How to Pray the Family Rosary Without Wanting to Kill Your Kids. <laughs> um, because I think I figured it out. Okay. Uh, because we've just started doing it. And, Do it in uh, Greek! <laughs> <laughs> We uh, we do it at night right now. So this is one you asked how are we kind of staying above water. This is one of the ways we're just trying to pray. And so what we do is like I I'm, I tend to be very idealistic, you know, and rigid. I tend to lean towards rigid if I'm going to lean anywhere. I don't know for whatever reason, right? Um, so if I if I'm going to pray, it needs to look good, man. I want I want us to be doing this real no half ass kind of stuff, you know. The only problem is if I was to try to kind of implement the rosary with that attitude and upon my kids, it would just be so destructive because I'd just be angry for the whole rosary that they're not praying it properly. That yep. Yeah. That's this guy right here. That's this All right, guy so, right here. So let me tell you what I've just decided to do. Basically, at the end of the night when we're sitting around on our couches, we pull out the rosary and we're like, all right, we're going to pray the rosary. If you want to go to bed, you can go to bed uh, or you can stay here. And the kids, one kid like looking through a book, another kid is like coloring. We don't tell them not to. They're just like, all right, so you can color if you want. That's fine. Like, I just don't care. We just stop caring. Yeah. Because I think to go from not praying the rosary to nail, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just not going to work, man. Yeah. And um, but so what we do is just pray the rosary, and we just try not to care. And I, I think I mean that in a good way. I mean, obviously, we don't want people being irreverent or disrespectful. But the thing is, the kids don't really want to go to bed. They like sitting up with us. And so they do end up sitting with us. And they actually pray along while they're coloring or while they're doing this and that. And it doesn't become this this nightly thing that they dread. Um, so I don't know. If, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. My my biggest resistors was my Cecilia. Whenever we pray, she's like, oh, can we just do one Hail Mary? But so, but she's a reader, and I I tapped into Katiri's desire to perform perform for everyone all the time, uh, rooted in her love of High School Musical one two and three, and uh, Cecilia's love of reading, and so we use a scriptural rosary, and we mm. just do one chapter from it or one uh, decade, one chapter. Good on you. Yeah, you yeah. just do what you can do. Ugh. And then Katiri loves to sing, do. so we would every so often we do the Divine Mercy, we do the old EWTN, EWTN Divine Mercy chant, Eternal Father, and they're like, <laughs> I love it, Daddy. I try to change it up. I try to change it up. I think it's this is the way to do it for us right now because in my head I'm like, listen, does it really matter? Like maybe we can keep if we can keep the rosary up for three months, then maybe I'll say, why don't you book, put the book down, and then I think it'll be, it'll be a lot more easy for them. Yeah. But to come out of the gate and kind of demand a sort of uh, piety that I even struggle with, you know, and I, I think this is just helpful for parents to hear, you know, like I remember being in confession and the priest saying what a powerful thing it is for children to see their father on their knees. And I 100% agree with that, but I'm not there yet. So when we pray the rosary, I'm sitting in a couch with my legs on an ottoman. 
<laughs> and there's a part of me that thinks I shouldn't be doing this. And then I tell that part to shut up because I know where that rigidity goes. Yeah. You know, it goes to this sort of like micromanaging um, mm. place where my kids are, they're not happy to do it because dad's kind of a jerk. So anyway, so that's one of the ways we've been just praying at night like that and going to confession when we can and actually been praying over the kids at night a little bit. And yeah, but I, I tell you, next week I'm recording. Do you remember I created that anti-porn course called Strive? Yeah, Strive 21. It's strive21.com. So Covenant Eyes owns that uh, now. And oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, it's free for anybody to sign up. They can be anonymous. Um, but they're coming next week to record all those things again, and oh, then yeah. they're going to be pushing it hardcore. I guess I've mentioned beer and different things, and they want to make it more open to yeah. evangelicals who aren't drinkers. So anyway, point is, I know we're about to get hit with a ton of spiritual warfare. Like whenever I talk on the subject of pornography or travel, everything just falls apart. So looking forward to that. So How do you? Would, so one thing that I think a lot of people who are your followers love uh, your relationship with your wife. So I got a couple questions on sure um, on marriage relationships. Um, how can I'll you build? I'll try to be quick. Yeah, sorry if I'm waffling on here. No, you're good. You're good. Um, how uh, one is how do you keep romance uh, and sexual intimacy alive and well in the marriage? You've been married for how many years now? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. I, I just communicate openly with my wife about how often I need to engage in the marital act with her. I'm very clear and tell her that that helps. What is what does that conversation look like? Because uh, in my household, it's uh, that conversation looks like. All right, baby, it's Lent. Every day, I think, would be good, don't you? And she knows I'm kind of joking. But, um, yeah, it's kind of nice, I think, when you can get to a point in your marriage where the two of you can just kind of start being honest with each other. Yeah. You know, like when she, she might say, all right, like, okay, you're leaving tomorrow to go out of town. It's really important to me that we sit down and have a big lunch. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I can say, hey, I'm, we need to – I'm not going to say the whole thing, but, you know, we, we, this, needs to, this needs to happen. And, you know, if you said that at the beginning of the, the, the marriage, it would be taken – wrong but you know when you know someone when you're best friends with someone and i've been living with her longer than i went to junior high and high school um you know we obviously love each other and we're good friends and so that it may have i, I may have just said that and it may have come across as rather abrasive but it's not you know it's not like my wife also doesn't it's not like my wife is an unwilling participant in these things yeah so i think being very clear rather than not being clear and then being hurt that you know what you, you mean silently brooding over the yeah. fact that yep. your wife doesn't yep. indulge you yeah yeah, yeah. see my wife uh, also had a hysterectomy a few years ago right i remember because that of health her. reasons yeah. and so she doesn't have that up and down kind of i'm fertile you know thing get anymore. over here she, she yeah. becomes a <laughs> scorpion from mortal Kombat. get over here yeah. so just talking about that being honest about that like i, I don't know that really helps um I would just I would recommend that to people. And again, it has to come out of this place of friendship or else who knows how it would come across. But just being like, hey, uh, we need to have sex tonight. So we can do it now or later you choose. Like it need just being like that frank about it, I think is really cool. We're just gonna set expectations. Or for my wife being like, when you smoke a cigar, you smell like my dad and I want you to get away from me. I'm like, done. Not smoking a cigar. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I gave them all away. Why don't you elucidate too on what I just said? Because I feel like I'm over here and all the women listening hate me right now. So maybe you could. Me and my wife, um, we have this code. And the code is very clearly illustrates. I say, so you want uh, 
And then, and I can say that in front of the kids. I can say that anytime. And she laughs and then says yes. <laughs> At a time, a place of her choosing. Um, but see, I, I'm different. I'm sorry. I just asked you to talk and I'm interrupting. Keep going. No, no. So again, the open honesty communication thing, because I and, and, pe- and just just to make it clear, just let me kind of like yeah. clarify something I said. It's not like every time I go away on a trip, I call my wife and say, "Hey, you need to look good." It's more like <laughs> when we had that conversation about how can I love you, which yeah. we've had like once about about the like when I come home, it would be great if you didn't look exhausted and the house wasn't a complete mess. Like we had that like once, you know what I mean? And so it's just kind of ex- just been like this is this would be good for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and her also saying certain things, right? Yeah, that's all the backpedaling I'll do. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, no. With with me and my wife, the open communication is so key. Like you said, and everyone knows this. That's like chapter one of every like how to have a good marriage book is communication, and it's really true because it is so easy to not want to hurt anyone's feelings or bring up uncomfortableness. Especially, you know, I think a lot of times couples avoid difficult conversations because they know they're the one to blame, but they also know like, I have to have this conversation Yeah, and it needs to happen in order to bring resolution. But it's like, we got to go to hell first. Like, I don't want that purgatorial moment because even though it's heaven on the other side, I don't want to walk through purgatory kind of thing. And I think there's, I think that's mostly just a fear and a pride issue. But, um, me and my wife have very, very clear communications. We do get in fights. We do get in arguments. They're, they're pretty rare because we are very much alike, or at least now we know each other very well, that I can anticipate. Yeah. And she can anticipate. She gives me a lot of freedom to go and be my extroverted self. Uh, and I give her a lot of freedom to be a, like alone. Like sometimes she just needs to be alone, and I need to See, safeguard See, you that. and your wife are the opposite of me yeah. and my wife. She's the extrovert. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's funny because – uh, you know, she's a quality time person, but she also needs that quality time with herself and just to be alone and away from people and watching her terrible Hallmark movies. And that's what she needs. That's nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so that communication is so key, but I noticed that the couples that come into my office because, uh, everything's falling apart, which again, you know, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a deacon or priest. I haven't had extensive training on the pastoral side, but when I sit down and listen to people telling their problems, they're really only like six stories or six problems ah, that people yes. have. And it's just, it, it's hard enough. Like once you do it often enough, it's hard to not steal people's problems away from them and just be like, Oh, I see what this problem is. You need to do this, this, and this, and then you're going to be good. Um, Stop talking. You're not that interesting. Your, your story's not that complex. I'll give you the answer. <laughs> yeah. And people don't want that at all. They need to, they need to solve it for themselves. But I mean, the biggest things are if one of them is looking at pornography, it does not, it either escalates the dangerous side of sex or mm. it um and it, and it cheapens the other or mm. it completely removes the desire to have sex because it costs you something totally and i see this over and over again so if you can address a pornography problem um and the other issue is the disparagement between or the disparity between who wants it the most and who wants it least sexual intimacy yeah over and over again, they never have a conversation about the reasons why one wants it less and the other one wants it more. And it's often more like for men speaking generally, it is a sign of affirmation and approval. Like you're, totally. you're worth for me. almost yeah. having a baby with. Like you're worth investing in the future with. You know, that's kind of implicit. You're worth me giving this time. Whereas I know that for a lot of women, it, it doesn't just – it's not just a form of affirmation. Um and pleasure. It, it is a much uh, different relationship thing. And uh, what I'm trying to say is foreplay matters to women, not men, <laughs> because it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot easier for us. It's a lot easier for us to get there. 
Yeah, man. But I uh, think things are good. I think as long as we just keep talking and yeah, speaking about expectations, you know, not just not just uh, in regards to sexual things, but just like, hey, how can I help you today? Or if I notice my wife getting stressed out, and yeah. like, what, what can I, what can I do? And then apologizing frequently for being a jerk, and that's helpful. What do you think is the biggest origin for conflict between you and your wife? Last maybe three or four years. Um, it would be my. Um, Probably me being passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah I'm ashamed you, to say. How do you do that? Um, I think I learned this behavior as a as a young child. Just like if you want to get your way, you just become silent, and that that other person gets the hint that way. And um, I'll fall into it like funks, and I'll just don't know how to get out of them. So more and more, it's just important for me to kind of verbalize exactly what I need to happen. Yeah. Whether it happens or not is another thing. Yeah. But as opposed to like having an expectation, and I'm not sure, just not, I'm not talking about sexual things, just whatever. Um, ha- ha- ex- expressing my expectation, and then my wife knows that that's the best way for me to kind of come out of that. Yeah. And then so she appreciates that, even mm. if it comes off as kind of harsh. She's like, see, thank you. That's <laughs> <She's, laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. And then my wife has – she's like textbook choleric and so has a very difficult time conceiving that she could ever be the problem. Um, and so we uh, – that's fun. You're like, hey, when you did this? And it's like uh, – it's like we call it the kind of like Wonder Woman handcuffs because like whatever I like suggest to her, like she just – just kind of like hits it back. <laughs> Deflected. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, Everything. man. And so um, she's cute. So, but actually, yeah. So, we're, I I don't know about you. Like, I know people who um love spending time with their kids, and like their wife is the source of issue. Like for me, I love my kids. Don't get me wrong, but I just my wife's awesome. Like, I just love being with her. I love spending time with her. Mm-hmm. I love when she comes on trips with me. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoy her so much. Like, honestly, my ideal day, at least now, would be just can someone take my kids for a day so my yep. wife and I can go get lunch and like watch a show. Like, I just love being with her, which is such a blessing. I know not everybody feels that way about their spouse. Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a hundred percent like that. That's you what like our relationship well? is like. And oh, actually, yeah. one thing I've realized is I've, if I feel like I'm being neglected by my wife for whatever reason, uh, it might be completely legitimate. Even if it's something like my child is sick, I'll just start to notice that I feel like I'm being neglected and I get <laughs> I get frustrated. And it's not a logical inference. Yeah. It's just, you know. Yeah, me and my wife, we have uh, we do coffee time in the morning. So now I That's guess it's nice, been yeah. two years, two and a half years now that I started drinking coffee just solely so we could sit yeah. down and have that time before my kids come rushing down. That's so nice. It My is. wife is not a morning person, so that doesn't happen with us. But yeah. that's so cool you do that. Yeah, I'm, and I wasn't the morning person. I was going to bed at 1 o'clock almost every morning mm. uh, or every night, whatever. And uh, and so I made the determination. I went Lent one year to wake up early, 5.30, every day for Lent. And it was so refreshing to happen to the day and not let the day happen to you that that became my practice more or less every time. Maybe I sleep in plenty of times, but my most of my my alarm is set 6 days a week at 5:20 to go off. And so that enables me to get the coffee going, to go on a mile walk, and then when she comes downstairs, it's all ready to rock and roll. That's so nice. Yeah, and we I'll, I'll t- so, you know, Jordan Peterson, I know you, you like him and I like him, but um, big fan. He has this phrase where he said in my clinical practice when I work with married couples before the stage of deep-seated resentment where they're going to divorce, I tell them the number one problem you have to figure out is how to have 90 minutes 
of conversation a week with one another. And I'm like, oh, that's every morning and then again every night. Like literally with me and my wife, we put the kids to bed. We zealously guard 8 p.m. Like you're in bed. Daddy starts to get irate when that hand hits, you know, uh, when the big hand's on the 12 and the little hand's on the 8. It's like it's time to get quiet. Totally. This is our time. And we will spend the next two hours together um, or, or hour, hour and a half, whatever, you know. And some nights I know, like, hey. You have to be alone. It's really good that me and Luke record at night because I can give her that alone time. Yeah, that's you know? nice. And it's true. Like, I can. It's great. Like, yeah, for me, a big thing is, like, get off of your phone. Like, break it or turn it away or, you know, 6, 7 p.m. Like, I don't want uh, – that's a source of conflict in our marriage. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably because I'm a little anal and also because she shouldn't look at her phone as much. Kind of probably both. But it's – it's always like, and it's, it's like, so like, say, it's like eight, eight thirty, right, or something. And I, I turn, I'd, like, I turn, and she's like doing something on her phone. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, it's just, I'm just, I'm, ju-, and that's the answer, like, you know, people give. I'm just. It's like, yeah, but all of these justs like interrupt a conversation that could be happening. I, I just, uh, there you go, I just said it. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like phones, so we're trying yeah. to be kind of more disciplined. And that's another thing, like being explicit about your expectations there, mm-hmm. like, hey. Like when we're together and you pick up your phone and like look at it or do a Marco Polo or send a text, like I, I feel unloved by that because, you know, and, and like the spouse might say, well, yeah, but like we weren't talking. It's like, yeah, but this just, it would, it, I, I hate thinking I have to be entertaining enough for you not to look at your phone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, most, I, I don't know if you feel like that. I got a friend who's, who's, who says that the, his wife's phone feels like the other man in the bedroom because she's just always turning to it. My wife's not that bad, but. Yeah, no. My, What's that been like with you all? She killed most of her social media when I did. She mm-hmm. also, I was having a conversation with my buddy Thomas Yeager. I think you might know the Yeagers. Um, Cameron does. But uh, the we were talking, and he said, "Did you just did you just delete your Twitter account?" And I was like, "Oh, I burned that bridge, baby. Deleted all the info. Deleted everything I could." I said, I'm, "I have no social media on my phone except for Patreon, and uh, those are my homies." And uh, <laughs> And he said, well, why? And so I just went through all the deep work, all the digital minimalism, all the, you know, pornography lures that exist, even passively. You know, you see ads on Instagram, uh, every woman uh, in the fitness space. Like, so if I start watching videos on how to get healthy, all of a sudden you get linked to a bunch of algorithms, whether it's YouTube or Instagram of, you know, fitness models in, in string bikinis. And you're like, okay, I don't know how I ended up here, but it's been six <laughs> hours and I'm still here. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I started, so as I'm having the conversation with my buddy Thomas, my wife is sitting there and she's just going through Facebook. And I didn't know that, notice this at first, but she deleted like 1600 people from her quote unquote friends. And she reduced it to like 200. And she's like, these are the people I want to invest in. These are the people I care about, and I want to see their stuff. The big problem with Facebook is the newsfeed algorithm feeds you stuff of the people that you interact with the most. So you tend to see the same yeah. thing over and over again. So she goes out of her way to interact with the people that are closest to her so that then it just okay. becomes this nice feedback loop. She used it the way it was originally intended, not, ah, to, interesting. not to get her news, not to publish her political views, but to share <sighs> pictures and videos and what's going – it is the Christmas letter. Right, the update with the family—that's what it yeah. is, and it becomes for her a source of um, of great joy and strength and community, as opposed to becoming a place of entertainment. And I think that's been the biggest change. Um, now she does a lot of stuff on her phone. I also I'm so irritated with the phone. Um, 
you know, I, I used to go having to recharge my phone. You know, I have like 10% left at 6 p.m. Now I have like 40% left at 6 p.m. Yeah, well, I mean, there's just nothing on there that I'm not going to blogs anymore. I'm not reading articles. I'm not looking for news and information to constantly be piped into my veins. I'm yeah. listening to podcasts and audiobooks and occasionally music. Yeah, my phone, uh, not to brag, but here we go. My phone's a dumb phone. Like I don't have the internet on it. I have email, and that's the – let me think. I have email, and I have Waze. Those are the only things that access – and I have uh, my music app, Spotify. But that's it. Like I don't have – it's actually really frustrating when someone sends me a link over text because I can't click on it. <laughs> I just block the app store and delete all that stuff, and yeah. I need that. Other people might not need that. Yeah, I, I, I just tend to have a low tolerance for that sort of thing. So I love that we're, I lo- I love that we're doing that. Yeah. You know, people always talk about different things. You know, you need to moderate or versus just get abstain. That's one of the things. The phone has always been one of those things, especially once I got rid of social media. I could moderate in my life. But like Luke, hearing him like having to go turn everything black and white and all that stuff. I'm he like, reminds me of me, Luke. Yeah. He, I think him and I are very similar in some ways. I keep saying that to you. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. You wish Luke were here. <laughs> no, no. He's just dramatic. And yeah. I'm like that. Like I, it's like all or nothing. Yeah, yeah, all or nothing, baby. It's a hard thing. Hey, um, I'm giving up alcohol for Lent. Yesterday was my uh, first day, obviously, and that went well. What okay. You? Uh, well, I'm doing Exodus 90. Oh gosh. So oh, all gosh. of the above. <laughs> see, like I'll see your alcohol, and I'll add ten other things. <laughs> you know what's funny with me in Exodus 90 is I am better at the disciplines than I am at the prayers, the set prayers. Uh-huh. I love they they've uh, redone all their. Meditation, or the scripture meditations, the gospel meditations, and I just I love it. I, it's awesome. It's the best way to start my morning with their mm. meditations and stuff. I I suck at the examine at the end of the day. I have I have mm. never been able. So I use a journal to force me to write like three sentences of an examine. Like I need to do this, and then I'll just be like, forget it. We're under ice apocalypse. We've lost power, heat. You know all this stuff. I'm 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 gonna get rid of the analog form of prayer. You know, like I could still do it, but I yeah. come up with excuses. But um, the uh, so Exodus ninety has been super awesome for us. My wife is doing it with me. Uh, the cold showers I have embraced like a like with a passion. I uh, I don't do the coward's way of one limb at a time. I stand inside the shower. I turn it to cold. I let it hit my face, and I just breathe and get all my stuff done. I love it. Oop. Yeah, it was That's nine awesome. degrees, and I got a cold shower. It's beautiful. Um, man alive, hey. Uh huh. <laughs> um. So, what about your yeah. alcohol? You gave it up. That's it's been oh, a that's day. it. <laughs> it's been a day. <laughs> yeah, it went well. Yeah, it's just just one of those things. You know what it's like when you realize, like, oh wow, I'm having a drink every night. Yes. Not 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 necessarily necessarily having more than that, but. I was actually sitting with Cameron Batuzzi over a live stream, and uh, we were talking about Lent. He's a Protestant, so I was talking to him about it. He said, what are you getting up for Lent? I said, I don't know, maybe something with technology. He's like, dude, you hate technology. What do you love? I'm like, I don't know, maybe having a drink. He's like, well, give that up. And everything inside me went, shut up, you stupid Protestant. What the hell do you know? (laughs) (laughs) So so I was like, yeah, maybe I should do that. The old man revolted. Mm. I love that. (laughs) When is he becoming Catholic? Is it like this Uh, next Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He seems very close. He seems very close. Do you know I took him to Han's house and he did that? He did like, he's Scott's house. He did a uh, YouTube live of Scott's library. Oh, that's awesome. I'm not sure if you saw that. Or I not, didn't but if you get uh-uh. a chance. Check it out. Well, with Exodus 90, I don't watch YouTube casually, you know? And so that would be a casual thing. 
but now that you've tied it into work, maybe now I have to. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I've been I've been literally just watching YouTube videos on home defense and um, locksmithing and how to protect my family from a psychopath yeah. next door. I know I heard about that story. I'm yes. so sorry. It, it is it is funny because you're talking about like chaos in the church and in the country, and th- there's no other word that can describe how it, how I feel than mm. my home is now a chaotic place. Like it's a it's a source of unrest. Like when I went to Kansas, my wife uh, almost literally barricaded herself into our house. You know, I mean, we have cameras, we have all that stuff. <clears throat> We're very smart about our weak points in, in of entry. You know, the windows and all that. But um, it, it becomes. And I'm not afraid uh, in the sense of like it's not like I'm huddling in a corner wishing it to go away. But it has exposed me to a whole side of my life that I didn't even know was vulnerable. You know, this is my underbelly, right? Like, this is the the soft, squishy parts. And I'm like, I've as a man, as a husband and, as a, and a father, other than locking the door at night, I never took protecting my family seriously. Maybe mm. walking with my kids to the park, sure. You know, but that that is as far as it went. And so now I'm like, okay, I need to understand these things. If you live in an old house, you need to, the very least you can do is get three-inch wood screws and screw them into where your door latches. And because they're held on by one inch screws that just go into the frame, not into the studs underneath and one mm-hmm. kick, they're all gone and your frame's gone too. And so it's stuff like that, that I, I bought like hardened locks and new plates. And I'm like, okay, all this buys us is time. I need to be able to do this. So, yeah, but seriously, like I heard that story and I was just like, good for you, Goma. Like that says a lot about you that you would do that. I think uh, many men would have just sort of backed into their house. And even if that would have been the appropriate response and even the better response, maybe kind of given what's happened and given what this lady since said about that man, I think it's just, I have so much respect for you for doing that. Well, yeah, uh, the best email I got was a guy saying, you know, we have to train people to not do that, that it, for people who want to protect and help out, you have to kind of train them, especially like EMTs firefighters to not rush in yeah. where they are then going to die. You know, like mm-hmm. that's stupid. Cause then, you know, it's like the lifeguard. You, you don't get close to a person who's thrashing because they'll take you both out. And, um, and he said these, he said, that being said, I would have done exactly what you did. Of course I have skills that probably you don't have. And then he recommended <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff. Cause he works private security and he recommended a whole bunch of stuff. He's like, you just do this, just the basics. You're going to be better than 90% of the people out there. And I was like, okay, Gracie Combatives, that's awesome. So I started looking into that. They have Zoom classes now that they're doing. Gracie is the people that made Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu popular in America. Yeah, it's really cool. Gracie, uh, G-R-A-C-I-E, Gracie Combatives. And they got excellent anti-bullying stuff for kids that just builds confidence. They got so so much good stuff that's out there. Um, And I was like, this alone, that one man's email to me, you know – took away, I would say, 90% of my anxiety. He's like, be mm. smart, look around, understand, but at the same time, like, you need you need to understand, like, there, there are things that you can't control and can't control. And then I talked with another police officer who knew the situation, and he said to me, men like this will run and hide. You don't have, you. he's like, 99% of the time, I'm going to say, you don't have anything to fear. The guy is gone, at least until April 1st, when the protective order is, is lifted. He said, but um, no, these men are such cowards from the law, especially after being a weekend away in jail, they won't do anything to jeopardize that. Because you violate a protective order, you go right to jail. Hmm. So I got my cameras aimed at the road to see if he ever violates that protective order. Wow. And, yeah. And uh, so it's just been, it's a bit, like I said, it's a fascinating journey into, into um, 
into feeling absolutely out of your depth. But um, it just it op- it opens up a new place to become better. I guess that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, good for you. Can I uh, do a shameless plug here? Heck yeah. Um, you know, my sister and I have that little horror podcast. Yeah, yeah, sibling horror. Sibling horror. Well, we've we've just put it into a book, and in about three weeks from now, it'll be up on Amazon. Sibling horror. What what is it called? What is the book called? Sibling horror. Just it's not on Amazon yet. Okay, I remember you mentioning that, but nice. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Just wrote another story, and it'll be kind of in the book as well. It's great. It's gonna be like three hundred and forty pages. It's gonna be one of these kind of bigger kind of books. Like that Consecration of St. Joseph book about that size, since every Catholic knows what that looks like. <laughs> it's so true. It's Can so I true. say some honest things about the Consecration of St. Joseph book? Yes. Is that I mean, Father really, Donald like, Calloway? Let, let me just him? preface this by saying this could be the best thing ever, and <laughs> I don't know enough about it to make a judgment about it. But my first reaction was like, really? Like, how many people do we need to consecrate ourselves to? Like, <laughs> is John the Baptist next? Does that get old? Do we do somebody else? Uh, your, your initial thoughts. You know, it's like the scapulars, right? I felt the way you're saying – I felt the same way about the scapular. Like, okay, I got a brown one. Now I got a green one. Now there's a red one. There's a blue one. Can I get – oh, good. They make multi-scapular scapulars, right. right? That's right. I do feel that way. But I think, I think, the, I think the superstitious mindset is I got to do them all, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. Pokemon. I got to catch them all. Maybe that's why I rebel against it. That's, yeah. Maybe that's why I react against it is because I have that tendency in me to be like that, to be scrupulous. Yeah. Well, and, just and, like we, just like you know, young converted Goma and young converted Matt Frad, like where's the biggest crucifix and all of the scapulars? <laughs> now I'm now I'm doing it properly. Let's see how many friends I can alienate at public school. Three, two, <laughs> one, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, it's it is funny because that's like the the well, I got. I mean, I, why wouldn't I want to get consecrated to the foster father of our Lord? Now, and I'm sure it's awesome. Again, I'm not crapping on it, and I'm sure Father Calloway is a fantastic guy, and I've heard only good things about the book. It's just my initial reaction was like, <laughs> oh, gosh, really? And I don't know anybody else in the world who had that reaction. So what's, what's wrong with that? But me? it is funny. Like, I think the avenues of this, like the, with the scapulars, right? Like, you know, there's one for healing, one for not dying in the state of mortal sin and going to hell, right? So you have those. I yeah. think they will hit people, different people at different places. And I think the, the um, superstitious person sees all of them like talismans. Right, mm, and that's the yeah. problem. Like, well, if I'm consecrated to the Blessed might Virgin be a Mary, lot more people like that yeah. than we willing to admit. Yes, I do. Agree. I also think sometimes like Catholic devotionalism, yeah. lends itself to that. Yeah, um, I think it was Escriva who said, and I, I always quote this because it's it's like the antidote to that. He said, "There are many devotions within the Church's treasury. Choose only a few and be faithful to them." Yeah. And I just thought that was just the bomb diggity. It's true. But then you hear the stories, right? The EWTN type stuff that I grew up with. You hear the stories of like Mother Angelica has this amazing story of her mother wearing a miraculous medal to a seance. Holy. And the seance couldn't happen until the woman kicked her out. <laughs> and so you hear stories, right? Like of the uh, – and, and so you hear these and you're like, oh, there's – you know, the Lord has blessed us. And maybe – I don't want to say it's just superstition, but there is this element where it's like, well, the Lord is obviously moving here, so I'm going to go there. And then it's like, well, the Lord is over here at the Lord's water, and I'm going to get a gallon of Lord's water. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to put it in my husband's coffee, so I, you know, or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. And then you hit all of that stuff, and then pretty soon you're chasing the devotions instead of chasing the Lord of the devotions. If I'm honest, I think that part of the reason I 
went Byzantine for so long and maybe still do, I don't know, is is a sort of familiarity breeds contempt sort of reason. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, this sort of thing, what we're talking about, right? Where you encounter people who, oh, you don't have the green scapula? Oh, you must have the green scapula. You're like, well, I don't really yeah. want to. Oh, and this is like akin to blasphemy, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or like, I'm open to it, but there are only so many things I can wear around my neck and everybody seems to be a champion of one of these particular <laughs> things as if it's do it or not. So there was something like that. It was like that. It was like just the church crisis. Mm-hmm. That was definitely part of it. It was just like, I just want to belong to something that's somehow separated off from this, but still legitimate. Yeah. Um, and that's not the only reason I found the prayers and the liturgy beautiful and yeah. enticing. But but I would suspect that, that I'm not alone there. Whenever I discover something in myself that I haven't articulated by anybody else, I'm quite convinced, given how unoriginal and unimpressive I am, that others are also experiencing that thing. Mm. And I suspect that there are a good deal, not not an insignificant number of people who might be fleeing to the Byzantine church just to sort of get away from some of the things that they consider abuses or oddities, only to find that Eastern Catholicism has its own oddities, etc. What would you recommend to people who are flirting with orthodoxy, Eastern orthodoxy, and why, why we should remain in union with Rome? Well, tomorrow I'm hosting a debate uh, between Eric Yabara and a Orthodox priest who has a PhD in, uh, I think, papacy, as it was expressed in the patristics. And so we'll be that that could be a place to start. Yikes! Okay. I mean, if yeah, so that'll be good. I just got to get ecam working, but yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I, I did I actually interviewed him recently because I think um, Orthodoxy has great curb appeal. Yeah. Online, good online curb appeal. You know, you don't see people up there with guitars and altar girls and other things like this. You know, you see people who seem to be taking and are taking the faith very seriously. You see icons, you see incense, you see slants of sun uh, coming in through the windows and uh, devotion and piety and something pretty masculine. It's appealing. Um, And then you look at your church and you just see, what did Pope Francis say again and what why Why did this bishop endorse Father James Martin's book? And um, you just get tired, and I think you just, you know. So the reason they shouldn't, maybe shouldn't become Orthodox is because they accept what the Catholic Church teaches about the Pope. Yeah. Would you say that's the main reason? Yeah, for me it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you have to be in union with the Pope. Otherwise, you're in schism. Yeah. Whether or not you're Orthodox. I mean, you could be Orthodox in every other area, but if you're not in union with the Pope, you're in a state of... Sism, and that's not a good thing. What are the future plans with Pints, with Aquinas? Um, I don't really have many, just to kind of try to keep doing the same thing. I'm really trying to work hard on sticking to what I should stick to and not to venture out into things that are exciting. So I want to just talk about Aquinas and Christ and the church and God and the Bible, and I just want to stick to that. When are you going to have Mel Gibson on the show because you're Catholic and Australian? <laughs> uh I want to hear some Father Bob Bedard stories from Matt. Oh, I love him. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Is your accent fake? Who is one person yes. you'd love to interview more than anyone else? Your dream interview? Uh, I mean, I've already had Peter Kraft on. I'd have him on again, and that would be my dream interview, to have him on again. He's so good, isn't he? I love him so much. How many fart jokes did he give you? Um, I think I told you this, that after the show, we were telling some jokes back and forth for my patrons. And uh, the guy who was wrapping up, like, uh, you know, taking off the mics off us, and Peter left, and he said, "Man, that guy knows a lot of Jew jokes." And I'm like, "Well, yes, but 
God. <laughs> they were all very loving, you know what I mean? But it's just... Uh, there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Matt Frad filling in for Luke. Keep your prayers going for Luke and his wife. They both have COVID and do not have oh. a good go of it. Yeah, and they got so their sorry. little baby. I, I, you did say she had one earlier. That's tough because I know he was quarantining. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that she also has it. Yeah, he just told me today. So prayers are definitely going uh, out for them. And their little baby, Everly, that she does not get it. So, uh, yeah, this is kind of rough for Luke. Thanks to all of our sponsors. God bless you guys. Head on over to, is it still pintswithaquinas.com? Yep. Dot .org. Dot, uh, uh, dot dot .va. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Dot .com. Dot .com. There I you hope. go. Yeah. And then uh, what, what else? What other new projects do you have? When's Sibling Horror coming out? Uh, and it, so we have a podcast called Sibling Horror. People can listen to it on Spotify or whatever. It's basically supernatural suspense fiction. I hope we, didn't cro- we haven't crossed the line too much with too many things that are too disturbing. But, you know, it's a kind of disturbing podcast. My sister and I write little stories. We pay somebody to narrate them. We're turning it into a book. Um, I don't talk about it on Pints a great deal. but uh, you, know, you used to. If- you used to. Didn't it weird out a lot of people? Uh, I don't know. No, yeah. I remember you being weird. I was. Out, I wasn't weirded out. We talked about it because one of our patrons said, "Talk to him about it." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> you just told me a story about a lady on a swing with really long arms. Yes, really long oh, arms. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. I tell <laughs> you, sick and uncanny. <laughs> All righty, Matt. Thanks for being a champion. You came on. I give you an hour's notice. You made it. You made it happen. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Alrighty. God bless you. Take care. Now, have you have you ever had an awkward encounter at a bar or winery or whatever? With a dude who like didn't shut it down, you know, like couldn't take a hint. Um, I'm trying to remember that far back to when I was last at bars. You didn't realize. You didn't realize I'd been doing it. I didn't. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I'm sure that I have. Can I tell you my I've... favorite awkward encounter? Yes. And then, you, while well, you think it's the greatest yeah. story of all time, in my no. opinion. So yeah. I took a bunch of friends down to at at at, in, at the mothership of Franciscan University mm-hmm. on lower. So it's up on top of a hill. You go down the city set on a hill, and you go to this place called Oh gosh, I've already forgotten. Anywho, it's a Holiday Inn with a a sports bar there. <laughs> yeah, yeah Damon's, Damon's. It was Damon's, Damon's for yeah. a while. Yeah. Yes. And uh, we were down there, and we're drinking, and there was this weird dude who was weird, weirder than weird, and he was sitting at one of the bar tops that face the big screens and he's drinking and smoking by himself and i'm there with three tables full of girls i was with a household theoda coast because my friend jessica martini was in that household oh Oh, yeah jessica's a gem she's a gem she's in louisiana um i'm with jessica i'm with um some stella girls i'm with some totus tuus girls and it's like me and maybe two other guys so we're sitting there and the dude tells the waitress that he wants to buy a table of the girls a round of drinks but from her going from him to the table she little game of telephone like half of us moved to one table and she came up to the biggest table so there's like 25 people there (laughs) and all the guys had moved to that table and the waitress came up and she's like that man wants to buy all of you a drink. Oh I may have ordered two. <laughs> and then we As got the hell out of it. But he never came over. He never said anything. He didn't buy yeah, a particular girl. At that point, girl. he was like, oh, no. I'm, <laughs> this, this backfired. I'm just going <laughs> to quietly pay this bill and walk away. <laughs> well, man, can you imagine being a college student? All of a sudden, you get like a $200 single <laughs> dab. Like, oh, greatest wow. day of my life. Greatest thing in my life. That's so. You know, the only the story that comes to mind. This isn't exactly a creepy person who wouldn't go away story, but it was 
I was in New York. So my sisters lived in New York for like 10 years and I would go up pretty regularly in the city. Yeah. And I would go up pretty regularly to visit. I had like, they gave me a spare key to the apartment so that in case they weren't home, like when my train got in, I could just let myself in. And then they started to refer to it as my New York apartment. It was a glorious, glorious time. But I was up there with some friends who came with me and we went to this bar that I very much loved and it was on a rooftop and you could see the Chrysler building and it was the dead of winter. So it was all like, you know, glass, plexiglass in, but we're there and it's dead. There was nobody there, which was mm. really unusual. Mm. But it's me and my two friends. Um, and we're like, you know, we're just going to go, we're just going to have a drink. And it was lovely. We sat there in this like abandoned rooftop bar and there's this group of guys like down the other end of the patio from us. The Jets. We'll call them the Jets. The Jets. Well, and we had each just ordered. We're like, we're not, we're not real big spenders, and we're in New York, so we just <laughs> each ordered one glass of Prosecco, and I think it was still like eighteen bucks. Yeah, it's horrific. Every <laughs> I had a beer at an Irish bar, and it was like nine dollars. Yeah, exactly, that's Good the cheapest Lord. drink you're gonna find in New York. Yep. So, so we're like, okay, we're just gonna each get one glass of Prosecco, and these guys come over, or they, I think they, I think they must have come over, and they're like we're going to get your drinks for you. And we all just looked at each other and we're like, why didn't we get the expensive ones? <laughs> if only they had told us beforehand, we would have gotten the expensive no, ones. I think they knew that. <laughs> That's probably true. But they were from like Slovenia or somewhere. Oh, nice. And so every so often we'll just text each other like, oh, remember how Ladia bought us drinks? That was so nice of him. <laughs> one, of, one of my Thanks, favorite Ladia. memories, Luke always talks about Austria, right? Me and him went a year apart. So I was there with a bunch of guys. I was the oldest and they were the younger ones. And so I'm there and I will never forget. This is one of my favorite days in my whole life. I'm there. It's September 2004. We're at this huge club. Salzburg became my like hub. I fell in love with Salzburg. And we found, yeah, and we just walked the whole city, me and my group of guys. And uh, everyone, we're going to get to your questions. Keep leaving some more questions down at the bottom. I'm going to tell this quick story and then we'll go to it. But, um, so we uh, we go to this um, club, and it has a dance floor that's long and somewhat narrow. It's maybe like, mm-hmm. let's say, 40 feet wide and like 80 feet long. So it's a big dance floor, but it's ringed by a bar, like a really big bar. Or there's a bar up at the front, and there's tables all around it. And it's pretty close to the bar. Like There's like the bar, the bar stools, maybe like a small tabletop, and then the, the wooden dance floor. And there was what I could only describe as a flying V of women who were wearing their clubbing wear they were ready to dance and they were all from i think they said slovenia and i and no one's dancing because no one's dancing so no one's dancing right waiting for someone to break the ice and uh I'm, i'm hanging out and i just got a beer and my buddy takes the beer out of my hands and he goes gomer i want you to go into the center of that dance floor and you start doing your dance moves so I had this dance move called the Spanish Butterfly, where I oh, tuck I my elbows, tuck my <laughs> elbows into my rib cage, and then flutter my fingers and <laughs> fling them up and down like I was flying. And uh, and I walked out into the middle of the dance floor. I mean, it's like house music, <laughs> and everyone is staring at the dance floor. And I go out there, and I was like, "Let's do this!" And I just started doing the Spanish Butterfly, and the flying bee flocked around me. <laughs> I fe- yeah, like it was moths awesome. To a flame. It was yeah, yeah. It was like uh, uh, that was nice. Moths to a flame. Keeping the Spanish butterfly theme. I liked it, uh, and it was so funny because within about 
eight seconds, the dance floor was filled from front to back. They needed you. All it took, all it took was a little You're bit a of hero. I'm You're a catalyst. A hero. No, I don't like to use that word. I mean, I am, <laughs> but okay, fine. <laughs> okay, fine. All right, okay. So. All right, let's roll the question. Hi, oh, this is go. April from Northern Illinois. April from Northern Illinois. It's the worst part of Illinois. Just kidding. Valentine's Day, or as I told my parishioners today, Celibacy Awareness Day. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> that is so awesome. That is so sad. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 